right. Good morning, everybody. Show of hands. Can anybody relate? Right? Anybody ready for winter to be done? Yeah, absolutely. I, those are actually both commercials. I found both of them this last week. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to show them both. They're just that funny. They're just that good. Sometimes humor can be the best medicine, and it's good to laugh, especially uh, in church. And so I think we can all identify with that. Needless to say, this has been a winter to remember, or probably more likely a winter to forget, right? Maybe there's a few of you weird people out there that actually enjoy freezing and cold and snow and ice and whatever else has been going on. But I think for a lot of us, uh, there's this sentiment that I have heard more than anything these last few weeks is, I am over the snow. Can I get an amen from the Lutheran crowd this morning? Okay. I'm so over it, right? I am done with winter. Chances are because of the weather we've been having recently, some of you maybe are finally dug out now. You said, I wanted to come to church, but I couldn't get out of my driveway, right? Whatever it is. Well, welcome back. We're really good you're here. Chances are you're sitting next to somebody this morning that they've been away for a while too. So turn to your neighbor right now, whoever you're sitting by and say, welcome back, friend. Tell them that right now. Welcome back. We're really, really glad that you are here. The good news is that spring is on the way. Springtime is coming, and I'm not just talking about uh, the weather changing. Uh, I'm not just talking about the calendar of springtime. Believe it or not, if you can do the math, spring is officially 18 days away. Uh, that's what the calendar says, at least. But I've got a different kind of spring in mind. Springtime is closer than you think. And that's because, as you heard us say earlier, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, and that marks the beginning of this season of the church year called Lent. And Lent literally means springtime. Ah, right? One of the great reasons that we have the church calendar is that we can mark time, because if we don't, it just can kind of feel like an endless winter. And Lent hits at a great time this year to remind us that spring, that Lent, this season of 40 days leading up to the celebration of Easter is almost upon us. And I want to encourage you. I know at Hope there's a lot of, a lot of you that maybe didn't grow up in the Lutheran church, and that's fine. That's great. Uh, a lot of you that uh, maybe didn't grow up in like a traditional church setting at all where you had these seasons of the church year. So every year when we say, well, Advent's here, you know, leading up to Christmas, you're like, what? You know, or Lent, and we can get those things confused. Advent is before Christmas. Lent is leading up to Easter, these 40 days, 40 is a powerful, important number in the scripture. You remember that Noah and the flood, 40 days, 40 nights, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. That number comes up again and again. And so the early church adopted this tradition of Lent. It's not in the Bible. If you're looking for it, thou shalt celebrate Lent is not in there. Uh, but it is this good tradition. Not all traditions are good, but some are good of leading up to that. So I want to encourage you, if you've never done Ash Wednesday, or you're like, church on a Wednesday? Like, that's weird. Give it a shot. Come in the middle of your day. If you work downtown, come at noon. Come bring your family at 6 o'clock. Whatever it is, come and check it out, and you just might find it's really good to worship right in the middle of your week. It might be good for your soul. Check it out. Come celebrate uh, with us. Spring is coming. A reminder that spring is on its way. Easter is coming. New life is coming. Breakthrough is coming. And I'm not just talking about the winter weather. I'm guessing that every single one of us walked in here this morning with some situation in our lives where we need breakthrough. Some, some relationship that you have, maybe in your marriage, you feel like you're stuck. You need breakthrough. You're hanging on by a thread. Your marriage is on the rocks. There's relationship, maybe a parent-child relationship, whatever it is. You, you need breakthrough in your job. You just feel like it's a dead end. Maybe you're up to your eyeballs in debt. Maybe you're waiting for, for breakthrough in, in your relationship with God, that you once had this closeness with God, and you're worshiping every week, and you're reading your Bible, and then life just got the best of you. 
And maybe you feel like you need breakthrough because you feel cold and, and, and stare, just disconnected from God. And maybe you're waiting for an answered prayer. <laughs> maybe you've been praying about something for years, for months, <laughs> for days, and it seems like a long time, and you're just waiting for any kind of answered prayer. Maybe life's just hard. I was emailing back and forth with a friend this week, a, a young dad, a couple young kids, and we all know that's a difficult season of life that some of you are maybe in, and we were just emailing back and forth, and it's amazing, even in email, you can feel stress. <laughs> even in an email conversation, you can he feel the weight that somebody's carrying, and some of you walked in here this morning with a giant weight on your shoulders because you're carrying something, and you feel like you have to carry it all alone, and you are waiting for breakthrough. You're waiting for somebody to come and help carry that load or take that burden from you. And this guy I was emailing back and forth with just ended his email and said, you know what, John? Sometimes life is just really, really hard. Can I get an amen? It's just hard. And we're here at worship, and sometimes you feel like you have to come and put on the church mask and just have this happy, smiley face. Can we just get real this morning? Can we just be honest and say sometimes life is hard, isn't it? Even following Jesus is hard. Being a Christian is hard. Life is hard, and we need breakthrough. And the good thing is we have it. It just might not be in the way that you think. We need breakthrough, and we have it. And it's called the kingdom of God. Everybody say kingdom. 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 If you have your Bibles, we're going to learn about the kingdom of God today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. Is the scripture that you heard read for us this morning. Mark chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, uh, these are in the back. These uh, New Living Translation Bibles are yours for the taking. That's our gift to you. So if you don't have one, grab one. Mark is in the New Testament. If you're new to the Bible, most of the Bible is the Old Testament. About the back fourth of your Bible is the Gospel of Mark, the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels. Gospel means good news. And those four books of the Bible tell the story of Jesus. And so it's our Book of the Month Club here uh, at Hope this year. We're going through 12 books in 12 months. Uh, is our annual theme. And so back in January, we read the book of Acts and went through that as a sermon series. In February last week, we just uh, wrapped up 1 Corinthians, and now we're moving into the book of Mark. And we're calling it Miracle March is the name of the sermon series because the book of Mark is full of miracles. It's full of action-packed stories. One of the things that I love about the gospel of Mark is some of the other gospels get, you know, John kind of gets his philosophical flowery language, and Matthew is very uh, much a historian and goes through the, you know, the, uh, the lineage of, of Jesus and everything. Mark just gets right to the point. He's like, Jesus born, let's go. Let's get on with it. And I, I kind of think about it in this way. Maybe you're a Netflix or Hulu person, and you're watching along, and, and you're into a, a show and a season, and it's really late at night, and you know you really need to go to bed. And then the next one just automatically cues up and you get like 12 seconds into it and you're like, well, now I just have to watch it, right? I'm hooked, right? That's kind of how the gospel of Mark look, uh, feels like because you're reading and the word that is used very often in the gospel of Mark is immediately. Everybody say immediately. Immediately Jesus went here. Immediately Jesus left town. Immediately Jesus healed this person. Mark is very much action-packed and it's full of miracles, these miracle moments, and we, we use that language a lot, and I think maybe sometimes we overuse it, but it's simply when the supernatural breaks into the natural, when the extraordinary breaks into our ordinary lives. And so the next few weeks, we're going to read about Jesus healing a paralyzed man or calming an entire storm or raising a dead girl to life or, or even taking a little boy's sack lunch and feeding 5,000 people. 
These are big miracles. And I think the danger is, is that we read these stories, particularly in the Gospel of Mark, and we think, oh, that was awesome because that's, those miracles, they happened a long time ago. But everybody knows that those Bible-type miracles, they don't really happen today. I mean, really, right? I mean, it's 2019. That's great for them back then. But everybody knows miracles don't really happen anymore, right? Unless you start to see them unless they're all around, and you may not notice this because we think that miracles have to look a certain way, but right in the middle of a frozen tundra of Iowa and Des Moines and Lutheran Church of Hope, it has been a couple months of miracles. Back in January, there was over 60 people that got baptized, and many of those people have stuck with it, and they keep coming back every week, and I talked to a few of them yet this morning, and they said, John, before I came that week, I don't know what it is or why I showed up that Sunday. And maybe some of you are like, I don't know why I'm here, but somebody drug me here this morning. God showed up. I got baptized. I became a new member. I got involved in, in, a, in, a, in a small group, and Jesus has changed my life. I mean, it's a miracle. I didn't want anything to do with Jesus, and now I'm on fire, and I'm following him every day. There were some marriages that were on the rocks that were hanging by a thread, and it had nothing to do with human intervention. It was a miracle. The Holy Spirit intervened. And God has rescued some marriages. There's some people that came up. There's somebody that came up about a month ago with back pain. And one of our prayer partners, not me, the pastor, you know, the one that has all the Holy Spirit. You know, like regular, ordinary people like me, like you, praying for each other that had back pain, chronic back pain for several months. Gone. Like right here. It happens. You never know what God might want to do. Strained relationships between parents and their adult children that have, there's been tension for years, healed, reconciled, brought back together. Miracles are happening all around us if you look for them. God, give us eyes to see. Give us hearts to, to see what's going on all around us. I love how author and pastor Josh Howerton puts it about these types of things. He says this, We dishonor God when we read about his movements in the past but we don't seek and expect his movements now. His name is not I was. His name is I am. All throughout the Bible, God and then Jesus in the New Testament are referring to themselves as I am. Jesus says, I am the light of the world, not I was long ago for those Bible people. I am the light in your darkness this morning, whatever you walked in here with. Jesus says, I am the way. If you're looking for direction in your life, if you're a little lost this morning, Jesus says, I am, not I was, I am the way. If you're looking for wisdom, if you've got a big decision to make, Jesus says, I am the truth. And if you're feeling a little empty this morning, if you're a little dissatisfied with the way that your life is going, Jesus says, I am the life. And I don't want to just give you a spiritual life or a life, you know, on Sunday mornings for an hour. I want to be your life. I want you to get a life have a full and abundant life. I am, Jesus says. And that's the good news that we have this morning. God says, I'm a God of miracles. I'm a God of breakthrough. And I am offering you something way more important than a breakthrough from winter to spring. I'm offering you myself. A love and a joy and a peace and a hope that you can't find anywhere else. I'm breaking through. And that's what Jesus says in our gospel reading today. So if you have your Bibles, look at Mark chapter one, we're going to start in verse 14. After John, meaning John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And then nice and loud with our 11 o'clock, I got to sleep in this morning voices. Let's read verse 15 together. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good 
news. So the kingdom of God is near. It's coming. It's on the move. What is the kingdom of God? It's the way things that are in heaven, the the rule and the reign of God, his agenda, his desires are now on the move on this earth. The kingdom of God is coming. The ice is starting to melt. Spring is coming. This is a great analogy. A couple days ago, we had one of those warmer, like for the morning, it was in the 30s or the 40s. It felt like a heat wave. And you could see icicles melting and maybe your driveway that's a hockey rink was melting a little bit, right? And you could tell spring is coming. It's not fully here, but you know it's on the move, right? And that's a great theological way of explaining the kingdom of God is here, and yet it's not fully realized until Jesus comes back and makes all things new in the end. Now, if you've taken our core class at any point or you're in it right now, this verse should sound very familiar when Jesus talks about time. Everybody say time. Time. An English word for time, we have one word. It's time. But in Greek, there's several words for time. And the two most prominent ones, the first one is chronos. Everybody say chronos. Chronos is where we get the English word chronological. And we think of time, we think of time like this, that it has a start and a finish. We are born and someday we will die. There's a start and a finish to our lives. Chronological. But when Jesus uses the word time, if you want to go back to that verse, when Jesus uses the word time, the time has come, he uses a different Greek word and that's kairos. Everybody say kairos. Kairos. That's not a a duration or a length of time. Kairos time is called a moment in time. As you're going along chronologically in your life, kairos is described as the right or opportune time. The right or opportune moment when the kingdom of God breaks in to our lives. And in this case, Jesus is saying, it's when the right moment in history when Jesus breaks into our stories. But make note about what Jesus says there in Mark chapter 1. Jesus didn't say the kingdom of God is here, and then he's like, and I'm out. See ya, right? Good luck. He doesn't say the kingdom of God was here. It says the kingdom of God is near, and it is advancing. And so the good news is that these kairos moments in our lives, Jesus is saying, didn't just happen long ago, but these moments of breakthrough are always happening. The kingdom of God is all around you. God is working and moving behind the scenes, which means these kairos moments, these opportunities, when God is breaking into your life, whatever those moments, big or small, are, these kairos moments are happening all around us if we'll choose to recognize them. I was trying to think of a very tangible way to illustrate to you in a physical, tangible way what is happening in a spiritual sense. And maybe anybody hit one of those the last couple weeks, right? Oh, geez, these potholes. I feel, I feel really bad for the city workers. They're all over. There's one the size of Montana on our street. I hit it every time, right? But the thing about potholes, as much as I despise them, you hit them and you go, the first thing that goes through my mind is, what in the world was that, right? Did the bottom of my car just drop out? What happened, right? Potholes force us to stop and go, what was that? That's a Kairos moment. That's an opportunity for kingdom breakthrough. When you experience something in your life, do you stop and go, wait a minute, what was that? Why did, why did that feel that way? You, you get in an argument with your spouse, which I'm sure it happens for me. I'm sure it never happens for you. But you get in an argument with your spouse for the 27th time, and you realize we always argue about the same thing. Hmm, I wonder why that is. 
Kairos moment. You have a family member that gets sick and passes away and your world is turned upside down. Kairos moment. But they're not all hard and painful. Maybe you get a new job and you're working in your new job and it's something you've always wanted to do and you have that moment, that Kairos moment, you're sitting and you're doing your job or you're working with other people and you're like, this is awesome. It feels like I was made for this. And then God whispers in your ear, I know. I made you, I created you to be passionate about that thing. Kairos moment. Whatever it is. Maybe you lose your job and you're struggling to find an identity or you're recently retired and because your identity and your value and your worth was all tied up in your job, you don't know who you are and you're 60 years old. You're 70 years old and it's like you're starting all over because your identity was all wrapped up in that or your newly empty nesters and your identity was all wrapped up in shuttling your kids around for 18 years and now you look at each other with your spouse and go, I don't know who I am. You're having an identity crisis and you're 50 years old. Whatever it is, Kairos moments. In those moments, do you stop? You're watching your kid's soccer game or their basketball game or their choir concert and you get emotional and you're looking... What is going on? Do you stop in those moments or do you just kind of blow right through them? All Kairos moments. What if miracles, what if breakthrough wasn't just in the big miracles as we see them, but in the way that God is constantly breaking into our story, trying to get our attention every single day? If we would pay attention to the signs, things we know about Kairos moments, they can be big, or small, but they are always, always opportunities to grow. The question is, are you paying attention? Now, in a slightly humorous way to to give you an idea of what this is like, nobody knows the importance of following the signs that are in front of them, like our good friends Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute. Any Office fans out there in that TV show? Okay, now you have to have a special sense of humor for this, but you have to realize uh, this is a scene when Michael and Dwight are out and they're trying to do some sales for their paper company, and it's been a rough day. Well, Michael chooses to think, I I think I'm going a pretty good direction in my life. I I think I know the way, and yet there's signs all around him. Watch what happens when you choose to ignore the signs that are right in front of you. Take a look. Proceed straight. Well, we're 0 for 6. Last chance is the Elmhurst Country Club. Other side of the lake on the southeast side. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I thought this would work. Through everything I had at that guy, nothing. That's how it goes sometimes, you know. Good point, Dwight. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. It means bear right. No. Up there. It said right. It said take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right, over the bridge, and hook up with 307. Make a right Maybe turn. Maybe it's a shortcut, Dwight. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's what, a what lake there. I think it knows where it is going. This is the, the machine knows. This is the lake. Stop yelling at me. No, it's not Stop yelling. yelling. There's no road here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. Okay. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. Come on! 
Oh, Michael. Or you could just stand up, right? Because the water's three feet tall. The best part is that Dwight gets out the window and freaks out and Michael just opens his door, right? These little moments are fun. So the moral of the story, you might say, is don't drive your car into a lake, right? Or maybe like the GPS, God is constantly trying to get your attention. Even when you mess up and take a wrong turn, do you notice the GPS was still saying, detour, detour, take a U-turn, right? God is always there, continuing to talk to you. The question is, are you listening? And I wonder if God's been trying to get your attention and he's been trying to answer some prayers that you've been praying and you are convinced that miracle has to, a miracle has to happen in a certain way or that God can only answer your prayer in a certain way and you're missing the ways that God is working behind the scenes. What if God wanted to answer your prayer in a way that you never even thought of? I'm really glad that we're not God, and he is. But he's, he's constantly working behind the scenes in all of these moments. I, I don't know what that looks like for you. Some of you, maybe you're really, really struggling in your marriage right now, or a family member, or a friend is, or whatever it is, and I absolutely believe that God can come in like he has time and time again and heal and bring that intimacy back. And I wonder if in the waiting... God is bringing some people into your life, another man or another woman, to be a spiritual friend and an encourager and challenge you and speak into that a little bit because you don't want to admit that you need help and you don't want to be that Christian couple that doesn't have it all figured out. You keep pushing people away because you have to feel like you have to put on the happy church face. And God says, I was there, but you missed it because the help didn't look like you thought it was going to look like. I don't know what it is for you. Some of you maybe feel like you're in a dead-end job that with no purpose. And I absolutely believe that God wants to provide a miracle. He wants to, to provide a new job for you, the job of your dreams. And, and I also wonder if in the waiting, God says, you know those seemingly meaningless conversations that you have over coffee or at the water cooler with the people that are in your job that you think don't matter? I'm actually using those to teach you patience. I'm actually using all those little moments on Monday morning and Wednesday afternoon when the last place you want to be is that dead-end job, and I'm using it to refine your character. Because even more important than what your job or your title or position or your salary is, God says, I'm way more concerned about you becoming a man or woman of integrity. And so I'm putting these moments and these opportunities and these people in your life to refine your character so that when I do give you the job that you really want, that you have a character that can handle your calling. Maybe God's building you a character that can sustain the capacity that he wants to build in you. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe some of you, like us, you're kind of in that fog of being young parents, <laughs> and you've got kids, or you're in those early stages of having kids, and you're just like, oh, I just get a break. Life is so hard. These kids don't listen to me. I'm losing my patience, and we have many sleepless nights, and God, why are you doing this to us? Why do we have to go through this? If God, if you could just come and change my kids' behavior, if you could just change their heart, and God says, I'm working on it, and... I want to change your heart. And I'm constantly trying to get your attention. And that every time that you, you lose your patience and you lose your temper and you're looking into the eyes of that small child that God has given you, 
and you see a lost, hurting, scared little kid who longs to know that they're going to make it. Maybe that's a Kairos moment where God's showing you his heart and what it's like when he looks at you. A lost, tired, scared, hurting 20 or 30-year-old who longs to know that they're going to make it as well. God's always working behind the scenes. The examples are endless because God's constantly trying to get our attention. And I want you to take this home today and remember this. What if the places of your deepest pain or biggest frustrations right now were actually the staging point for God's best work? What if that season that you feel like you're in right now, what if the seasons where you felt stuck or lost were actually the seasons where God was preparing you for breakthrough? Some of you feel like it's dark. Some of you feel like you've been buried. Some of you don't, I don't, I don't know the way out. Think about a seed that when it goes into the ground, it thinks it's over. It thinks that's its death, its burial. It's dark, it's over. There's no hope. And yet the farmer says to the seed, I didn't plant you to go into darkness and to be buried. I planted you so that you could grow. And maybe the season you're in right now is actually fertile ground for your transformation. And what I notice time and time again when I meet with people and I counsel people and I befriend people and I talk to them, when these moments happen in our lives, big or small, usually one of two things happens. We lean in to the heart of God and we grow and we become more mature or we freak out and we push God away and we lean back and we grow better or we go bitter and we grow towards God or we move farther away from God. How do you respond when God is trying to get your attention? How do you respond when people speak truth into your life? How do you respond when you're challenged with something? How do you respond when life doesn't go the way you planned? Do you lean in or do you pull back? Lean in. It's like it was yesterday. Those words just ringing true in my mind. It was about six or seven years ago and I was standing, I was on a skiing trip with my brother uh, in Breckenridge, Colorado. He's a couple years older than I am. He's a, an expert skier, and I am not. And I found myself standing at the top of a triple black diamond. I mean, it probably kind of looked like, it probably wasn't exactly like that, but it felt like that. And it felt like I was going to die. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this. And my brother was trying to convince me to do it. And like going into this ski trip, I was like, okay, I'm kind of familiar with skiing. I've been skiing a few times before, you know, in Boone. And I'm like, how much different can Boone be than Breckenridge, Colorado, right? Turns out a little bit, right? So I'm like, I'm looking down. I'm going, I am going to die. I'm like telling my brother, I am not doing this. If you're not familiar with skiing lingo, skiing lingo, black diamond means like the hill that all the crazy skiers go down that have lost their flipping minds about skiing, right? What are you thinking? I'm like telling my brother, you know, I, I think I'm going to go over to the blue, the, the, the pink, pink one, the ones for the little kids. I think I feel a little safer. I mean, this is Colorado, right? Like skiing down like the literal side of a mountain. I'm like, I'm not doing it. He's like, you're going to do it. I'm like, this is not how it's going to end. I am in seminary. There's going to be an article written, seminarian killed because he lost his mind and he tried to go down this hill when he never had no business going down. I am going to die. This is where it's going to, and, and my brother, I'll never forget what he said. He said, John, when all else fails, just lean in. 
when you're going down the mountain and you feel like you're getting out of control, what your body is going to want to do, what this seems like the logical thing to do in those moments when you hit a mogul or you hit a rock and you feel out of control, you're going to want to spread out and stick your poles and get really wide and try to gain control by yourself. That's the worst possible thing you could do. In those moments, he said, actually, the best thing to do is to get as compact as you can and either lean left or lean right and lean in to the mountain. Everybody say, lean in. And I did, and it worked. I was telling the story one time to a Sunday school class of elementary kids, and I stopped the story right there, and this one little boy raised his hand and said, did you die? (laughs) No, I didn't. I'm here, and I made it, and I got down, and I looked at my brother, and I said, you were right in those moments when life felt out of control, and I was losing my balance. I wanted to stick around and do it myself and just kind of coast down the mountain and stick my, you know, stick my poles in and widen out my skis, but I didn't. I leaned into the mountain. I almost fell down a few times. I skidded on my, on my rear end for a while, but I didn't because I leaned into the mountain. I wonder if that's the invitation of Jesus for you today. In those moments, joyful, happiness, painful, hurting, difficult, inconvenient, whatever those Kairos moments are, lean into the heart of God. Lean into the heart of God. Don't let it push you away from God. Don't let it push you away from the church. Don't let those difficult seasons and those circumstances in your life bring you to isolation and force you to pull back from community and relationship. If you're going through something, ask for help. You don't have to do it on your own. Lean in to the heart of God and lean in to other people. You don't have to do it alone. Jesus puts it this way and puts some biblical language to it. Back to Mark chapter 1 in verse 15. Let's read it together. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now there's a weird word. Everybody say repent. No, like say it like you mean it. Say repent. 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 Feels a little gross, doesn't it? Right? I don't know what you think of, but when I hear the word repent, I think of that guy that's usually down at the farmer's market with his big blowhorn. He's like, repent. Repent turn or burn, right? Like that sort of thing. And that's great because that's the theme of my message today is turn or burn. (laughs) That's not Jesus's message either. But when we think of repent, we think of that for people that have really big sins, right? Couldn't be farther from the truth. Sometimes we need to repent of our sins, but the word repent in the Greek there, what Jesus is saying is the word metanoia. Everybody say metanoia. And it literally means to think differently or to change direction. And so when we have those moments in our lives, Jesus is inviting us not to just blow through it and avoid what God's trying to do, but to think differently and to turn around. It's like Michael's GPS. Do a U-turn. Do a U-turn. Turn around, right? In those moments, Jesus is inviting us to metanoia, to think differently about our lives. And what if every Kairos moment was an opportunity? Yes, if you're living in sin, repent, turn around, change your mind, go a different way. But also, Jesus is inviting us into this process to do those two things. The first one is to repent, and that's the first half of this process or this circle that forms. And the second half is to repent and then do what? Believe, right? Repent and believe. Everybody say believe. Believe Believe the good news. And what is the good news? There's a better way than the direction that you were headed. Jesus says, I know you. 
God says, I created you. I know you better than anybody else. And so your life is headed in a certain direction. And when those moments happen, repent, think differently, turn around, and go a new way. I don't know what your situation is. Maybe some of you find yourself single in a relationship sense. And you are just convinced that this is, I look around me, and this is what you're, I'm lonely, I'm looking for love, I'm looking for a dating relationship, I'm looking to get married, and this is what you have to do. You have to just put yourself out there. You got to compromise your values. If you're going to get somebody to love you, you have to kind of lower yourself down and lower your standards a little bit. Who told you that? Or is that just kind of what seems to be working for everybody? Well, how's that working for you? Jesus says, metanoia, that moment happens, repent change your way, change your direction, and believe the good news that God loves you. And when somebody loves you, they're going to accept you just as you are. You don't have to change yourself. And maybe God wants to show you a new direction than you were going before. Some of you are in that stage, like I said, of that fog. And you're, you're early on in marriage, and you're trying to figure it all out. You've got your first child, you're having your first couple kids, and you're in that fog, and you look around you, and the direction of your life is, well, you know, we're really busy right now, and so church just kind of got to get put on the shelf or put to the side, and everybody knows when you're in that early stage of marriage or having kids, you just try to survive, and so you just kind of put God aside, and well, because that's what everybody else is doing. How's that working for you? Is it filling your soul? Are you satisfied do you want to be great parents? Do you want to have a great marriage? Put Jesus at the very center. Your kids can't sustain that. Your spouse can't sustain being at the center. Metanoia. Think differently about it. Have you asked Jesus what a healthy marriage looks like? Have you asked Jesus what your family time and your priorities and your family schedule should look like? Not just what everybody else is doing. Repent. Think differently. Change your direction. And God's going to give you a new direction. Some of you are in that season of your life where you're recently retired, and you look at people around you, like I'm in my 50s or 60s and 70s. I did my time in the church, and now it's time for the younger people to step up and lead. Who told you that? Where did you get that piece of advice? Because I'm looking around at our church, which, praise God, is a multi-generational church. And I'm looking at hundreds of people in their 20s and 30s that are desperate to know what 50, 60, 70, and 80-year-olds look like that are passionate about Jesus. And they're looking for examples of that, not for you to be on the sideline, but for you to be in the game, to be in relationship together. They're looking for mentors. They're not looking for perfect Christians. They're looking for authentic Christians. I know I am. I have multiple people in my life that are twice my age, and I look to them, not for perfect examples. And thank God that they're thinking differently. Thank God that they're not just going the direction that everybody else is going. Well, I'm retired. I'm going to kick up my feet. What if your next 10 years were your best 10 years, and you're in your 50s, 60s, 70s, or beyond? God's not done with you yet. How do you respond to Kairos moments? God says, let me show you a new way. It doesn't have to be a hectic lifestyle. You don't have to be stressed out. You don't have to conform to what everybody else is doing. I truly believe that one of the signs of spiritual maturity, if you want to grow, one of the many signs of spiritual maturity is this. You stop seeing every day and every situation as a circumstance to avoid, and you start seeing every day as an opportunity to grow. That's what mature people do. 
How do you respond to hardship? Test of the heart. How do you respond to criticism? How do you respond to challenge? Is it always defensiveness? When your spouse corrects you on something, is it always I'm right and they're wrong? When's the last time you said I'm sorry? When's the last time you genuinely said it's my fault and I'm owning it? Kairos moments. God can use other people for kairos moments in your life. How do you respond to challenge? How do you respond to difficulty? How do you respond to those kairos moments in your life? Do you see every day as an opportunity for breakthrough and growth? For breakthrough and growth. And the good thing is that God doesn't just invite us into this process. He says you don't have to do it alone. It's what we just said. In fact, one of the best ways to move around that circle, I need other people in my life because sometimes I miss God. I need other people in my life because sometimes I need other people to hear God for me because I'm I'm going through a difficult time. And I need really good friends that can help me recognize the Holy Spirit in my life and help me go through that process of discernment. When I was going down that mountain in Colorado, I knew that even if I died, I wasn't going to die alone. Even if I go tumbling down the mountain and I break all the bones in my body, I knew I wasn't alone because my brother was with me. Who do you have in your corner? Who's on the journey with you? Do you have any real friends? I'm not just talking about like your 872 Facebook friends or Instagram followers. That's great. Do you know, do you have anybody in your life that knows you beyond the filter? Do you have anybody that knows you and loves you? Here's what a real friend is. Somebody that cares way more about pointing you to Jesus than they do about you liking them all the time. Some of my best friends tick me off because they speak the truth. Do you have any friends that tell you what you need to hear and not just what you want to hear? Kairos moments. Who's on your journey with you? King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes puts it this way. One of the smartest, most wisest men to have ever lived. And he says this in the book of Ecclesiastes Chapter, nine, or chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, he says this. Two are better than one. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one there to help them up. Do you have anybody that really knows you? I think a lot of us have people that know us like for the high moments, for the mountaintops. They know the church you. Who knows the real you? Who knows the deep stuff, the the below-the-surface stuff? Do you have any friends? We were not created to live life alone, and that's why we've been talking about this life group experience that starts next week. And some of you are like, John, that's yes, but everybody knows, like, real friends can't be found in the church. I mean, I put on my face when I come to church, and we got to be that put-together, you know, Christian and everything like that. But then on Friday, I'm going to go hang out with my people, if you know what I mean, right? Why not here? I know, crazy thought. You can have real, genuine, authentic friendship with people in the church. Mind blown, right? You can, and I know they're going to be a little weird. Get over it. So are you, okay? You'll fit right in. Do you have any friends? Do you have any connection with anybody else? 
I love what's been happening in our core class. We're on the last week tonight. We're just finishing it up, and another one starts in April. But over 60 people have been gathering in this room every Sunday night the last five weeks. And there is a ton of laughter, like too much laughter. Like what is going on with you people, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about our Kairos moments. We're unpacking deep, painful things in our lives, and they're loving it. And there's a ton of laughter, like deep belly laughter and joy and hugs and high fives. Why is that? Because they realize they're not alone. Why do guys keep showing up for our monthly guys nights? 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 year olds showing up. Why do women keep showing up for our Bible studies and the book study that's going on and women's connecting lunch events and everything like that? Why do people keep showing up? Because they're tired of going through life alone. And maybe some of you are as well. I get it. That's cute for Lent. If you want to give up coffee or sugar or caffeine or Facebook or whatever it is, instead of just giving something up, why don't you lean into the power of community? Why don't you stop trying to do life alone? Give it a shot. Take a leap of faith and let yourself be known for once. Lean in this Lent to the power of community. Lean into the mountain. You don't have to do it alone. You'll be better for it. You'll be better for it. Lean into community and most importantly, Lean into the heart of God. Jesus says the time has come. Mark chapter 1, the kingdom of God is near. Everybody say near. That's really good news. Why is that good news? Because when Jesus shows up, peace shows up. If you're following Jesus today, you've got peace in your pocket. (laughs) It's way more accessible than you. You don't have to freak out every time a moment happens. You don't have to stress out when life throws curveballs your way. You've got the Prince of Peace in your pocket. He's right there. Because when Jesus shows up, love shows up. When Jesus shows up, the fullness of joy shows up. When Jesus shows up, hope shows up. And that's really good news because Jesus knows and sometimes we forget that way more than we need an answer, we need him. And some of you have been avoiding that relationship with God because you're mad at him because he won't give you an answer. And he's saying, what you really need is me because I want to give you a peace in the waiting, in the middle of your circumstances. I'm a God of miracles. I'm a God of breakthrough. And that's really good news. The kingdom of God is near. And that means Jesus is just as present in your sickness as he is in the cure. Jesus is just as present in the waiting as he is in the miracle. Jesus is just as present in the argument with your spouse as he is in the resolution. He's always been there and he's never left. And today he's saying, lean in. Lean into my heart. And we'll end here. There was a, uh, an elderly man, the story goes, that was in his final days at a local hospital. And the man's daughter had called a few days earlier and asked for the local priest to come and pray with her father. When the priest arrived, he saw the man propped up in a hospital bed, and next to his bed, there was an empty chair that he had had one of the nurses put there. And the priest walked in and said, oh, you know, hi, Joe, you were expecting me. And the elderly man said, well, no. And the priest said, well, I just saw this empty chair, you know, next to your bed facing you. And so I thought, and the man said, oh, it's okay, come on and sit down. And they got to talking for a while, and Joe was pretty honest. He said, the doctors have given me maybe a week. And uh, all my life, I'll be honest with you, Father, I, uh, I've really struggled with prayer. And I've, I've always felt kind of like I'm far away from God and that when I pray that God, I don't know if he hears me or hears my prayers or not, I've always felt this distance. 
until a couple weeks ago, and one of my good friends knew that I didn't have much time left, and so he came and visited me, and I shared that with him. And he said something. He said, he said Joe, do this. Have one of the nurses put a, an empty chair next to your bed and, and face it, and then picture Jesus in that chair. And then just talk to him and pour out your heart to him like you would as if you were just having a regular relationship with your best friend. And Joe said, I, Father, I, I've, been, I've been doing it, and it, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's changed everything. I feel like I've had this great closeness in, in prayer with God. And I have to be a little careful, though. If my daughter sees me talking to an empty chair, she might have me move to the other side of the hospital. Well, they prayed together, and the priest was deeply moved and prayed for Joe before leaving. And a few days later, the daughter called to tell the priest that, that Joe had died. And she was talking on the phone to the priest and, and said that she felt really bad because she'd gone to the store, and then she came back, and apparently she found him dead there. And something was kind of strange, though. She said apparently the nurses that were there when he died said just before Joe died, he kind of leaned in and leaned over and laid his head down on the chair next to him. And I tell you that story not to be morbid and not to be like, death is coming. I tell you that story to tell you this. You don't have to wait to lean in to the heart of God. When those Kairos moments come your way, and they will tonight, tomorrow, next week, lean in. Whether it's the summertime and everything's going great or it's the dead of winter inside your soul and you can't feel anything, and you can't feel God, lean into the heart of God. Don't stick your poles out and try to do it on your own and fumble your way through life. Lean into the heart of God. Lean in on the mountaintops and in the valleys. He's there. He's never left. Lean into the heart of God and find that intimacy that you've been looking for. He loves you. He's never left. Lay your head down on the lap of Jesus. Lean into the heart of God and you'll find that you've never been more loved than you are right now. Amen? Let's stand. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. It was on the night that he was betrayed that Jesus was gathering with his disciples and it was a, a joyful night. It was a fun night. They were eating the Passover meal together and I would imagine that at some point the mood in the room shifted from joyous and celebration to a little bit more somber and I would imagine that at some point the disciples leaned in because Jesus grabbed some bread and some wine and as the disciples leaned in Jesus looked him in the eyes as he's looking you in the eyes this morning and he said I, I'm going to do something I'm going to break through my kingdom's going to break through and it's going to be in a way that you're not going to expect I'm going to die I'm going to give my life, but that's not the end of the story. The miracle's coming. It's just not in the way that you think. But first, I'm going to give my life for you to, to show you how much I love you. And Jesus took the bread, and he broke it, and he gave thanks, and he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Disciples are leaning in once again, and Jesus took the cup. He gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, take and drink. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is my promise to you that whatever your past is like, 
wherever you've been, whatever you've done, whatever your timeline looks like, whatever big black X's are in your past that you're ashamed of, that you've never brought to God. I forgive you, he says, and my blood can wash you clean. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Take and drink. See, communion isn't some empty religious ritual that we do. We get in line with everybody else because we're imperfect and we need God's grace. Every single one of us this morning, known and loved by God. We have a God that loves us who's our Father and he teaches us to pray this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Before you're seated, I want to invite our uh, ushers and communion assistants forward to their spots. And while I have you standing, while I have your attention, I just want to remind you that communion is open to everyone here at Hope. Regardless of your background, regardless if this is your first day here, God's grace is for you. There'll be three stations up here at the front. There'll be one up in the balcony. So those of you that are upstairs, you can uh, just stay up there and they'll take care of you up there. And as you come forward, the ushers will lead you to the proper station. Come forward and receive the bread and take it and dip it in the darker color, the wine or the lighter color, the grape juice. There are allergy-free elements available to my right, to your left over here, and children are more than welcome to come forward for a blessing. As you return to your seats, you can head around the outside aisle and the band will close us in worship. So hang tight, don't go anywhere, and we'll close and worship together. All is ready. Come and receive. You may be seated.